If you're able to, let's stand. Acts chapter 16, I'll read verses 5 through 10. Out loud, you read along with me silently, if you would. Acts chapter 16, verses 5 through 10. Paul is on his second missionary journey. By the way, your pastor said that I remind him of the Apostle Paul. I have read that the Apostle Paul was five foot three, bald-headed, and had a pot belly. So I'm not sure if that's what you were talking about, but uh, that's what I've read. But anyway, I've, I never met him. Okay, Acts chapter 16, verses 5 through 10. The Bible says, and so were the churches established in the faith. Paul and his team are going back on this second missionary journey from church to church, and they're bringing these decrees from Jerusalem, and he's strengthening the churches, encouraging the churches, establishing the churches. And so were the churches established established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden, can everybody say forbidden? This is an amazing verse here. And were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. By the way, that Asia is Asia Minor. We would know it as Turkey today. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, if you're a part of a Baptist church, you believe in the Great Commission and preaching the gospel, Paul had this desire to go to what we would call Turkey to preach the gospel, see people saved, baptize people, see churches planted, and God said, no, it's a little different. By the way, God's ways are higher than our ways, and God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And always remember this, when it doesn't make sense to us, it always makes sense to God. Somebody say amen. amen. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, and after they were come to Mysia, they essayed or endeavored to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered or allowed them not. Think about this. Paul has this desire to go one direction, to preach the gospel, reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ, see people saved, see people baptized, see churches planted. God closes the door, shuts the door twice. May I remind you of this? God opens doors that no man can shut, and God shuts doors that no man can open. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me also remind you of this. Anytime God shuts a door in your life, if you stay faithful and continue to go forward, God's going to open up another door. Somebody say amen. That's exactly what we see in this story. Verse number eight, and they passing by Mysia came down to Troas. So see, Paul doesn't complain. He doesn't get discouraged. He doesn't get distraught. He doesn't quit. What does he do? God closes a door. God closes another door. Paul just keeps going forward. What do we do during COVID-19? God, God closes a door, the governor closes a door. Somebody say amen. God closes a door. We could complain about it. We can whine about it. Or we could just keep going forward for God. Somebody say amen. And that's exactly what Paul does here. Now notice in verse number nine. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, which we would refer to as Greece today, and prayed or asked him, saying, come. Can everybody say, come? Come, come over into Macedonia and help us. Can everybody say, help us? help us? Come, help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we, notice the he becomes a we. By the way, that's what we call teamwork. Somebody say amen. amen. It's not until the he becomes a we that we can accomplish the task. 
Paul sees the vision, but a team rallies around him. God gives your pastor and the church leadership a vision. That's the he, but the team is the we. And God used them to accomplish great and mighty things because the he became a we. And after he had seen the vision, immediately, no arguing, no debating, no dialogue, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you'd bless in the moments that we have. We're so thankful for this church. What a good church. And uh, just hearing how the, uh, how you're blessing them. They don't have room uh, to put anyone. They're taking the pastor's office is becoming a classroom. Reminds me of the good old days of Pacific Baptist Church, where we were just putting people in every nook and cranny. I pray, God, that you would continue to bless this ministry here. Bless us tonight as we consider this thought, come, help us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I love this story, and if you've been saved for any length of time, if you've been to missions, conferences, you've heard this a preaching. We often refer to it as the Macedonian vision. Paul had a desire to go into what we would call Turkey today. It was a godly desire. It was a good desire. He wanted to preach the gospel. There was nothing selfish about it. It was selfless. Paul wanted to preach. He wanted to see people saved and baptized. He wanted to disciple people. He wanted to plant churches. But for whatever reason, God stopped him. God closed the door. And let me just say this again, as I said a few moments ago, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that sometimes God closes doors. Sometimes God opens doors. Sometimes God closes doors. But what do we do when the door gets closed? We just go forward for God. I've been saved for a long time, January 17, 1977, got saved Fort Lewis, Washington as a, a young soldier in the military, and I've seen a lot of good days, I've seen a lot of bad days, but I've learned one very important truth, never quit, just keep going forward, keep going forward for God, and that, that was taught me as a young Christian, and that has helped me throughout the years, and Paul goes forward. Then he sees this vision, and we don't, we don't know exactly, was he laying down, was he sleeping? We don't know, was he walking around praying? We know it was at night. He sees this vision as a Macedonian man, uh, what we would call Greece today, and this man says, come, help us. That one moment, the desires of Paul's heart and the direction of Paul's life changed. And by the way, you and I today are Christians because Paul obeyed the prompting of the Spirit of God. Because where he goes to Philippi, Macedonia, is where the gospel is introduced to what we call Europe today. And that's how the gospel got here to America. Aren't you glad that Paul listened? Somebody say amen. amen. So Paul goes, and if you, if you read the rest of the chapter, he, he ends up planting a church, and Philip High becomes a great church. God does some amazing things. But it wasn't God's, it wasn't Paul, excuse me, Paul's initial desire. And when I think about this story, I think about my life, and I think about uh, years ago when God began to change the desires of my heart, and God began to change the direction of my life. As I mentioned a few moments ago, I was very comfortable. I mean, we, as one of my pastor friends 
said, you know, Brother Johnny had it made in the shade. I did. You could have asked for more. But God began to speak to my heart. And I never saw a Macedonian man, never saw a vision, and never heard an audible voice. But there was a voice that spoke to me, and it was like it echoed through the ages. Come, help us. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but over a three-year period of time, I was wrestling with God. By the way, let me say this. We're not to wrestle with God. We're to surrender to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. How many of you have ever wrestled with God? Yeah, you know what we're supposed to do, just put the white flag up, say, I surrender all. Somebody say amen. Amen. But I, I wrestled with God about this thing, about, about going to the mission field. And, and uh, uh, I've written nine books in the first seven books, the uh, first eight books, excuse me, that I wrote were all about America and revival and, and public education and Christian education. I, I gave your pastor, and I think, Chris, uh, one of the books today. And uh, everything was about America. I love America. Boy, I, I don't like what she's become. Somebody say Amen. But all of a sudden, God started changing the desire of my heart. And to make a long story short, one day in a hotel room, I was preaching at a church in Northern California, not too far from here, actually. I was in a hotel room. I was reading my Bible, and I'd been wrestling with God. And um, basically, I didn't hear an audible voice, but God spoke to my spirit and said this, you need to just resign from Pacific Baptist Church, and I'll tell you where you're going to go after that. I said, okay, that's not how it works in America, God. That's not exactly how my planner has it, amen? And, uh, and to make a long story short, because uh, I, I had been wrestling with God, God, I, I, I had a burden for all, this whole area, the 1040 window, but I didn't have a burden for any particular people. To this day, I don't feel like I'm called to any particular nation or any particular people. And I, I said, God, I'm an old man. I, I, it's going to be really hard for me to learn language. And to be honest with you, uh, if I go to Asia, I don't even like white rice. I'm going to say amen. I, I love it now, but I didn't then. But uh, so I, I let my brother know, my pastor, my senior pastor, and he said it was the worst day of his life. And he tried to talk me out of it. He gave me a list of seven different options. Here, consider this, consider this, consider this. He didn't want to lose me. But when he realized that I was going to go, and I had no idea where I was going to go, he said this, would you consider overseeing our teams in Thailand and Laos? Now, to be honest with you, can I walk out here? To be honest with you, can you still say, actually, I'm short. I probably need to go back up here. I wanted to go somewhere like the Philippines, where they spoke English. Somebody say amen. amen. Go to Scotland, Australia. But my brother asked me, because we had three teams. We had a team in Cambodia. We had a team in Thailand and a team in Laos. Sent out of our church. We have 22 of our members of our church who've left our church to go to the mission field. And uh, so he, <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I, you know, I was just trying to be a submissive uh, assistant pastor, I said, yeah, yeah, I'll pray about it. You know how we are, but I'll pray about it. But he said, would you consider going on a trip? And originally it was supposed to be him, my wife, and me, but <laughs> the church can afford it, so I went by myself. And he flew me, and I was going to take three weeks in Southeast Asia. I remember, I'll never forget flying in on a Friday night to Cambodia, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I arrived about 10.45, 11 o'clock that night. Third world, at that time, it was a third world airport. It's 
changed now. I didn't speak the language. I'm, I'm going through the immigration and everything. I have no idea what's going on, no clue what's going on. I finally get outside the airport, and our team leader with our team in Cambodia picks me up in a tuk-tuk and, and takes me to the hotel. And we get to the hotel. It's at least 1130 at night. And, and of course, your body clock, it's a 14-hour time difference. Your body clock's all messed up. And, and uh, he said, uh, tomorrow morning, that was a Friday night, tomorrow morning we have a prayer meeting and we have soul winning. Uh, you're invited to come if you'd like to come. I'm thinking, dude, what are you talking about? If I'd like to come in, I, I'm an assistant pastor from your sending church. Of course I'm going to come. Otherwise, you're going to tell my pastor. Somebody say amen. <laughs> of course I'm going to come. That's why I'm here. So, so I said, uh, I, Pastor, I asked a question. I thought it was a legitimate question. I said, who will pick me up? That's legitimate. You're in a foreign country. You've never been there before. He said, nobody. I said, nobody. I said, well, well, how will I get to the church? He said, you, you can walk. I said, walk? And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's next door from the hotel or something. I said, well, how far is it? He said, oh, it's only about six blocks. And pastor, here's what I'm thinking. Six blocks in Detroit, Michigan, no problem. Six blocks in Los Angeles, California, no problem. Six blocks in San Francisco, no problem. Six blocks in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, I can't read the signs. I don't speak the language. We've got problems. Somebody say amen. Then he had the audacity to reach into his pocket and pull out a three-by-five card and drew me a map. And he said, all you have to do is go three blocks this way, then turn left, go one block, and two blocks this way. I thought he was pulling my leg. <laughs> Nobody treats the guests, guests like this. Somebody say amen. <laughs> and then he left. <laughs> now, I'm going to be honest with you. I was a little bit intimidated. Now, I got saved out of a gang lifestyle in Los Angeles. Before I got saved, I was in and out of jail. I joined the United States Army. I used to jump out of airplanes. I was an airborne ranger. I used to be six foot three. Every time I jumped out, hit the ground, got smaller, smaller, smaller. I know what some of you are thinking. You jumped a lot. So to be quite frank with you, there's not a lot of things that intimidate me, but that did. Next morning, I walked through the outdoor market. It was on the video I'm walking through the outdoor market. There's a thousand or more people. They're selling and they're buying. There isn't a white person in the bunch. Somebody say amen, except for me. And I'm walking with my little three by five card. I've got one in here. I don't want to mess with the, anyway, I've got one in here. But, and I'm praying like I've never prayed before. Oh God, don't let them kill me. Somebody say amen. By the way, I got $2,000 in a money belt delivering it to the, the ministry there. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're going to kill me, take the money, and just lay, leave my body for dead, and nobody will know. I, my cell phone, I don't have a SIM card. I can't contact anybody if I get lost. And you say, well, just read the signs. <laughs> You're kidding me, right? So I'm walking through, and, and then what made matters worse, they started pointing at me and laughing at me and screaming at me. You say, well, Brother Johnny, what were they saying? I have no idea what they were saying. But to this day, here's what I think they were saying. Little bald-headed white guy, you're in the wrong neighborhood. <laughs> and I'm walking through, and I'm praying. I'm thinking, I cannot believe I'm here. And I can't, I'll kill Dave Board for making me do this. But halfway through that 
market, my intimidation became compassion. Because there's a biblical principle, very simple. My eye affects my heart. And all of a sudden, as I was looking at these people, I realized in the country of Cambodia, over 98% of the people are lost without Christ. And all of a sudden, it's like I can hear the words of the Macedonian man, come, help us. Over the next seven days, the first seven days I spent in Cambodia, every night I wept myself to sleep. My life was in total turmoil. I saw physical poverty that I had never witnessed before. By the way, I have a chapter in this book about the physical poverty in that part of the world. Americans have no concept what poverty is. God has been so good to us here in America. I saw physical poverty and I saw spiritual poverty, which I talk about in the book. And I just, I just couldn't, it just didn't register. And every night I would weep myself to sleep. Then the second leg of the trip was to the country of Laos and Laos and Cambodia, though they're next door neighbors. They are like night and day, totally different from one another. <clears throat> One's a communist country. The, the Lao people are actually, the Lao people are, are the nicest people in all the world. I tell people all the time, they're better than, they're better Christians than most Christians. They're not even saved. Somebody say amen. They're hospitable. They're meek. They're mild. They, they don't hold any grudges. The United States of America, they are the most bombed country in the history of the world per capita. And we were the ones who bombed them. They hold no grudges against Americans. They're amazing people, but they're lost. They need Christ. So the second leg of the journey was in the country of Laos, and every day, was there for seven days, every day, I could tell you story after story after story. And I remember, I sit over here, I can remember sitting down in a coffee shop with a missionary, not a Baptist, but a missionary who started an English school. Because we would have to start an English school. You have to have a reason for being in the country. So I was asking him about the country, asking him about the city of Vientiane, Lao, which where we live, the capital city, and asking him about how to start English school, things to do, things not to do. His name was Jeff. I asked him, I said, Jeff, in the city of Vientiane, Lao, at that time, 750,000 people. I said, in Vientiane, Lao, what percentage of the people would you say have never heard the gospel? He looked at me, he said, well, Johnny, you know, it's a lot better today because, you know, internet, the world's smaller and he said, probably 95% of the people have never heard the gospel. And pastor, I remember thinking all those years on staff at Pacific Baptist Church, I can remember we'd go door knocking twice a week, sometimes three times a week. I can remember many times going to knock on a door and looking at my soul winning partner many times saying, I know I've knocked on this door five times. I remember Pacific Baptist, we always have what we call the Easter I forget what we call them now, big Easter push. We'd pass out 80,000 Easter tracts, inviting people for an Easter service. And I can remember one time, Pastor, where I was uh, knocking on the door. Nobody was home, so I, I took my track out, and I, I put it in the screen door. You know how you do it. I got my track out and put it in the screen door. And, and uh, as I put it in the screen door, I realized there were three other tracks there. Apparently, somebody had moved or something, or on a long vacation, there was one from First Baptist Long Beach. There was one from Gethsemane Baptist Long Beach. Our, our fellow brothers and sisters, not far from us, one from Bethel Baptist in, in Carson, California. Four tracks with the gospel. Yet 95% of these people have never heard the gospel. Ah, uh, the next question. 
ripped my heart out. I said, Jeff, I said, I know you, you don't know for sure, but guesstimate, what percentage of the people in Vien Lao would you say have never heard the name of Jesus even once? Now, let me just say something. There is no sweeter name that I know than the name of Jesus. The day I got saved, I took my marijuana earring out and threw it on the ground. I threw my cigarettes on the ground. And by the way, I did go back and get those. It took a little while to kick that habit. By the way, I will tell you this. Smoking stunts your growth. I found out the hard way. Anyway. <laughs> but God, God has been so good to me. There's no name. My wife and I have been married almost 39 years. Her name is Denise. That is such a sweet name. I have uh, five children, uh, two daughters. I have, I have 13 granddaughters. A lot of them anyway. But, but, uh, but they're all sweet names, but there's no name sweeter than the name of Jesus. Amen. So I asked him, what percentage would you say have never heard the name of Jesus? And he looked at me, he said, he said of course, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that 75% of the people in this city have never heard the name of Jesus one time. When he said that, I just bowed my head and I started crying. I couldn't fathom that. And now that I've been in Asia for seven and a half years, I know that it's true because time and time again, one of the first questions I ask, have you ever heard of Jesus? Many say no. And the few that say yes, the next question is, who is Jesus? And they say exactly what Jeff told me they would say. I don't know, but I heard the name Jesus. On the third leg of our trip, it's the last six days that I was in Asia, Southeast Asia. We flew into Thailand. I flew into Thailand every night, crying myself to sleep. Every night, really, that voice echoing through the ages, come, help us. In Thailand, our team works primarily in the mountains of northern Thailand. They work with the Hmong people. And um, I was going from village to village to village and no gospel witness. My heart was breaking. I could tell you story after story after story, but time will not permit it. We were in one village, and Jay and Tom, the members of our team in northern Thailand, they were sharing the gospel with a shaman priest. The best way to describe a shaman priest to Americans, a witch doctor. I was the silent partner. If you know anything about soul winning, when you go soul winning, usually there's someone, somebody sharing the gospel. There's another one who's praying. He's also diverting the kids, keeping the kids from interrupting, keeping the dogs from barking and doing whatever he can to help the situation. I was silent partner. You say, well, why were you the silent partner? Because I have no idea what they were saying. But again, I was sitting there and I was praying. I was watching. And all of a sudden, a little girl, I found out later her name was Gasha, four-year-old girl came, and she starts staring at me. She was probably three, five feet away from me. I don't know about you. I don't like people staring at me. Amen? <laughs> you say, what you do? I stared back. And then I noticed something. She looked like my granddaughter. I have, I have 10 Filipino grandchildren. I have a Filipina granddaughter who is a special needs child. Her name is Hannah. I love all my grandchildren, but there's a special bonding between me, my wife, and our special needs granddaughter. I looked at her as I watched her. I looked at her. I, usually, many times when I preach a message like this and I tell this story, I'll show a picture of them side by side, look identical. 
To make a long story short, I began to cry. At first, my, my tears were tears of rejoicing because I was thankful that I grew up in America. Where there's almost a church, church at every corner. People say, yeah, well, they're not all good churches. Where I live, you don't see good churches or bad churches. You could drive for hundreds of miles and not see one church. And I'm looking at this girl, and I'm thanking God that, you know, I lived in a Christian country that when I was 17 years old, a couple different times when I was a teenager, tracts were given to me. I didn't respond to the gospel, but I read the tracts, especially those chick tracts with the cartoons, and I read them, and that was the seed of the word of God being put in my heart. Eventually, it came to fruition, and I got saved. I was thanking God that I went to, got saved and went to Bible college, met a Christian young lady who has been a wonderful helpmeet for all of these years, has followed me all over the world, never once complaining. I was thanking God that my children were serving God full time. I was thanking God that my, my grandchildren were able to be in Bible believing churches, hear the preaching of the word of God every week, go to Christian schools, and I was rejoicing. But then, <clears throat> the rejoicing turned to tears of remorse because I looked at this little girl and I realized that this little girl and little girls like her, little boys like her, all over the world, but especially in the 1040 window, are born, they live their entire lives and they die and they go to hell, not because they said no to Jesus, but because they never had an opportunity to say and I remember as I sat there in northern Thailand, I didn't know what the future held for me, but I knew something that my life had just been drastically changed, that I would never be the same. God was changing the desires of my heart. He eventually would change the direction of my life. Just a few months later, I started on deputation. After 10 months of deputation, went to the mission field. I've been all over that part of the world, and I thank God for it. I thank God that I heard with spiritual ears the words come, help us. Let me tell you, share with you one story and many others I could share. This was after we were already on the field. We went to northern Thailand from Laos, took my, our team from Laos. We went to northern Thailand. We're going to do some ministry there. They wanted to introduce me to a, a, a ministry that had no pastor, had no missionary, it had been started by a German missionary years before, but the missionary's wife, if I remember correctly, got leukemia. They had to leave the field. And so the church had been without a pastor for five or six years, and they wanted to take me. And so we went, and it was a me and people group, another tribal group, and, and uh, they're in northern Thailand. And through an interpreter, I had a conversation with a woman who seemed to be sort of in charge and there were a bunch of teenagers there. And so I was asking questions. I asked quite a few questions, but I asked, do you have services every Sunday? She said, we have services every Sunday. I said, well, who normally preaches for you? And she said, well, sometimes we have somebody come, but normally I preach. And, you know, as a Baptist from America, my first thought was, you know, you're not supposed to preach. Women should only preach to their husbands. Somebody say Amen. <laughs> By the way, all married men know that women are very qualified to preach <laughs> to their husbands. Anyway, but here's the thing. There was no man. We talked a little bit longer, and then she, then she asked me a question. She said, would you preach for us right now? And to be honest with you, Pastor, I didn't want to. My heart was a, a mess. I, I'm trying to collect my thoughts, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to. 
But she, she said, will you preach for us? So I, I did preach. <clears throat> After the, by, They were so attentive. They were so hungry. By the way, in that part of the world, they hunger for the word of God. After we were done and we were getting ready to leave, she looked at me and she said, when will you come? When will you come? Or come, help us. Tonight, I want to stand as a representative for the people in a part of the world that most of you have never been. They can't afford to fly here and tell you their story. They can't come and share their needs with you. So tonight, I stand on their behalf, and I say what they would say and what the Macedonian man said. Come, help us. Now, for most of you, you're probably not going to go there to live and be a missionary. Now, some of you can, and some of you should, but you can still go and help them. You say, how? Well, the Bible says this, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. So everywhere I send my money, I'm actually following my money wherever my money goes. So you don't have to get on a plane to go to Laos or Cambodia or Thailand or China or to the Middle East. You can literally give, and by giving, you're going. And thank you for those of you who are giving. And your pastor said last month, I think he said, $1,000 over budget for missions. Praise God. But you can also go by praying. And by the way, the missionaries need your prayer. And by the way, those people desperately need your prayer. Somebody wrote these words, an author wrote these words. He said, and whether we stay or go, we have no choice but to counterculture. If we stay, like most of us will, then we must recognize that sacrificing pleasures, selling possessions, and shaping our lives around getting the gospel to the unreached peoples of the world will inevitably and unavoidably go against the grain of culture that constantly beckons us to seek more pleasures, attain, attain more possessions, and spend our lives around what will bring us the most comfort in this world. Moreover, if we go, then we must realize these people groups are unreached for a reason. They're difficult and dangerous to reach, and the cost of reaching them will be steep. Come, help us. A few months ago, when... COVID hit and we just got to the States, I realized one of the reasons God has me here, I've never been real good at asking for money. God's always been faithful to meet our needs, but I began to see what was going on in Southeast Asia as far as the economy. One of the men that I discipled just planted a church about four months ago. Uh, one day on Facebook, he puts some video footage, and I'm not on Facebook, but my wife is, but video footage of him out in the jungle with his phone and using it for a flashlight. And so I asked him, she sent me the link, and I, I watched, and I asked him, I said, Subin, what were you doing? He said, we were looking for bugs. I said, well, for what? He said, for tomorrow's breakfast. That's how he was going to feed himself, his wife, and his two precious daughters. And so for the last six months, going on seven months, whether it's a Subin or whether it's Churchill, whose five-year-old son just died, whether it's uh, Pastor C. Tone who's in jail and his wife is left 
uh, by herself. We've been able to hear the cry, come help us. We've been able to raise money to send to them. And we've been able to, not me personally, but we send it to the churches. And they're feeding the hungry. They're clothing the naked. In the last few months, 13 people have trusted Christ because of Operation Samaritan's Compassion. We've had people who refused to ever attend the church service finally come because their hearts got soft. Why? Because we were willing to come and help them with their physical needs. But I want to pray. I want to ask you to pray. I want to ask you to continue to give. And I want you to ask you to consider going. We don't have a lot of these books. I would encourage you to get the book. Every penny goes straight to Southeast Asia. We've been very, very fortunate. Many of God's people have given much in the last few months so we could help people physically as well as help people spiritually. Now, let me say this, and then we're done. I've got one minute. Come help us is not only around the world. It's around the corner. To answer the Macedonian call, you don't have to get on a plane to go to Asia or Europe or Africa or the Middle East. The truth of the matter is all you have to do is go out these doors, go into the parking lot, and get in your car and go home to the gas station, fast food restaurant, wherever you go shopping. You won't hear them say audibly, come help us. But if you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, by faith, you can hear, come help us. They don't even know what help they need, but they need help. I'm glad that there were people who were willing to share the gospel with me. I'm glad that there were people who were willing to hand me tracts. I'm glad that that I had an aunt who for years prayed for me and sent me tracts and Bibles. It was a little Gideon Bible with the plan of salvation in the back of the Bible that I trusted Christ in a telephone booth. You remember telephone booth? Long time ago. I trusted Christ. I walked in the telephone booth, lost on my way to hell, walked out of the telephone booth, a child of God, eternally secure. Come help us. Let's stand and let's pray.